Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and 16 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Father, I pray um, that you would just change our hearts, Lord, as we hear um, Rick's message from your word this morning. I pray that you would speak through Pastor Rick that we would hear your word, that we would be changed and act upon it. Amen. Chicken filet biscuit combo. Side of Cajun fries with the extra salt and a sweet tea. Cookout tray with bacon cheeseburger, corn dog, and a quesadilla. New York style pizza or Chicago deep dish, extra cheese, extra pepperoni. Stevenson's barbecue. Whole wheat fettuccine from 411 West Italian Cafe in Chapel Hill with a side of freshly baked, warm, right out of the oven bread, Italian bread with that side of olive oil and the balsamic vinegar with the oregano and the, and the garlic in it. My guess is I probably just ruined everyone's ability to listen to this message. If you were not thinking about food, you are most certainly thinking about food at this point. And it really is amazing how easily and how quickly our physical hunger is awakened by a quick mention of Bojangles or driving by a Bojangles and smelling the grease. So now let's try this. The glory of God. The gospel of grace. The good news of God's love and mercy. The cross of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins through faith. The resurrection from the dead. And I say those words that way just to ask this question. Do those words awaken the same or better spiritual hunger than did the previous list. Did, did the list that I just give, did it brighten your eyes and your face? Did it give you as much enthusiasm and joy as the list that I just put forth for everyone there? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So the big question that I want us all to wrestle with this morning is simply this. Do you 
hunger for God? Do you long and crave for his righteousness and for his kingdom and for his glory? Do you hunger for God? And what we're talking about this morning is the spiritual discipline of fasting, which I suspect for many of us, we never give fasting any thought, let alone have ever practiced fasting at any point in, my, in our lives. I, I suspect that for, for our generation, it is a lost art that used to characterize the church, but it's no longer practiced. For, for many of us, we hear fasting and we think that it's something better suited for some monk in some monastery somewhere out there. Outside of having to fast the night before having your blood drawn or having to fast before some medical procedure, outside of that, the idea, the notion of fasting seems very foreign and very alien to many of us. But Jesus assumed that his people would in fact fast. He made that assumption that it would be a normal activity for any and all who are followers of Jesus. He said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 16, when you fast, when you fast. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you all Excuse me. I invite you all to open up your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 16 through 18, mostly here predominantly. And we're continuing on in a sermon series that we began last week in which we're investigating some specific activities that Jesus expected would typify those of us who are his followers. And fasting is one of the activities, one of the spiritual disciplines that Jesus assumed and expected would be true of those who follow him. So what is fasting? What is it not? What is it for? What is it good for? Why should any of us go without a meal or two or three or longer? Why would any of us do that? Fasting, folks, was a regular activity in Old Testament days. It was very common. If you were to read Genesis through Malachi, you would see that there were many instances where all of God's people, they they fasted together. And you would read of instances where individuals, they fasted on their own privately in secret. So it was very common back then. Uh, but the, the reality is that fasting is not simply like a Jewish practice. It's not only a Christian practice. Other religions practice fasting. Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims, they practice fasting as well. And it's not only for religious people. Non-religious people fast for non-religious purposes. So I was just doing a little bit of research, and I discovered the Fasting Center, Fasting Center International, and they claim to be the global, global leader in fasting, so that's a wonderful title to have. We are the global leaders in not eating, so there you go, and their website says this, health is truly your greatest wealth, so you know it's good because it rhymes, so health is truly your greatest wealth, so why not give yourself the inner equivalent of a Ferrari in 2016, a superb new you? Well, how about that? I could purr like a kitten if I fast according to, to this website. I could purr like a Ferrari. So they say that fasting is the greatest of all healing modalities. 
I don't even know what that means, but it must be right. It must be good. I mean, anytime you use the word modalities, well, you got my attention. So it's the greatest, fasting is the greatest of all healing modalities. And, and so here's some of the benefits that, that this group says comes along from fasting. Number one, and I'm going to quote here, fasting removes the five to ten inner toxic, the five to ten pounds of inner toxic waste dump now polluting your cell tissue and organ systems, including chemical toxins, metabolic waste, bad cholesterol, and intestinal parasites. So if you want to get rid of the five to ten pounds of inner dump inside of you, fast. Well, that sounds like a good reason to fast. Get rid of the junk. All right, number two, fasting elevates you out of the cloud of consciousness. It elevates you out of the cloud of consciousness and vaults you into the stratosphere of human potential. Wow, that's an enormous claim. They, they say that, that fasting bolsters brain power and cognitive function. Well, man, I want to get rid of the cloudiness. I want to get vaulted into the stratosphere of my potential. So let's, let's not eat. Sounds good, right? What about number three? Uh, fasting resets your body's odometer resets your body's odometer and it does so by boosting your immune system slowing the aging process well that's enough for some of us right like slow down the aging process and it says that it optimizes happiness well this is the holy grail fasting we finally discovered the fountain of youth like this is the secret sauce to happiness and goodness and health and vitality and vigor and all of that just fast who knew who knew so if fasting is done by non-Christians, and if it's done for kind of non-religious reasons, why should those of us who are followers of Jesus fast? Why should any of us, should we, should we fast? And we should, and it's really a, a simple answer. Why should we fast? It's because it glorifies God and because it's for our good. It glorifies God, and it's for our good. Jesus said in that same verse that I just read, Matthew 6, 16, he says, when you fast, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not if you fast. It's when you fast. So when we are faithful in obedience to God, we honor him as our God. We give glory to him when we're obedient to him. And as is always the case, when it comes to glorifying God and, and things that are for our good, there's this wondrous harmony between the two. What glorifies God is for our good. And so when we follow him, and his uh, directions for our lives, it's in our best interest. So if for no other reason, and that should be sufficient, why should any Christian fast? It honors God, it glorifies God, and it's for our good. It's in our best interest. So what I want to do is, before we unpack that, like why really though, what, why is fasting such a, a good spiritual exercise for us? I want to take a look at the kind of fasting that's not good for us, Okay. And that's really what we get into in these verses. So let's read all of verse 16. It says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may, so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The kind of fasting that ultimately is of zero value to any of us is the kind of fasting that's done to impress other people. 
Like that has no value whatsoever. So there are those people out there somewhere who when they fast, they look the part. Like they make sure they put on a haggard appearance to draw attention to themselves. They make sure that they look gloomy and gaunt in order that everyone knows that they're fasting. They're drawing attention to themselves. They're looking for the praise of man. They're looking to impress. They're saying, oh, look at me. Aren't I the spiritual one? Like that's, that's kind of what they're, they're getting at. Their reward, the reward that they're seeking is to praise the adoration of fellow man. They put on this appearance of outward piety in order to receive the accolades and the plaudits of, of our contemporaries, of our fellow man. And, and I keep saying they, right? Like they, like there's some, some mysterious group out there somewhere, they, they, those people. And aren't we the they? Don't we do the exact same thing? Like it may not pertain to fasting per se, but all of us need to check our motives as to why it is that we do the things that we do. Do we do what we do out of love for God? to bring glory to God, or do we do what we do in order for our glory because we love ourselves so much? It's really amazing how often I hear Christians bragging about all that they do for Jesus and all that they give for Jesus, and there's always this false humility in their statements to me. And I don't know if this is just me because I'm a pastor but, but, but people will come up to me and say, I just love Jesus so much. I don't know why I just conjured up my inner Jim Gaffigan, right? Just so much. I love Jesus so much that I give $500 every month to church. And I, you know, I, I can't go on vacation and I can't put money in, in the bank account, but I just love him so much and I'm willing to sacrifice. Like, really, like, why are you telling me this? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you getting at? Like, why give me your spiritual resume? Well, I just love the gospel of grace so much that I'm willing to serve every week at church and be with children and preschoolers even when I have migraines. And I have migraines every week, but I do it willingly because I love Jesus so much. That's about all someone's going to get out of me because one more one, encouraging is not my strong suit. <laughs> um, that is an awfully low bar if we're trying to get the applause of a pastor or a fellow Christian, if we're trying to get the approval of our fellow man, like, look at what I'm doing. Aren't I wonderful? And we have to be careful because all of us, and I do think all of us, are prone to be drawn toward the adoration of other people, the, the praise of man. We're drawn to it like a bug to a bug light, and it always ends with a zap. Like it's not in our best interest to do things, to, to, to do our religion, to live out our faith in such a way that we're trying to receive the, 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 the praise of man, performing religious activity and putting on the, this outward piety just for the sake of impressing others. It's vain. It's empty. It's carnal. At best, all that we receive is a token, meaningless, inconsequential trivial, short-lived reward. The, the, the claps of a fellow somebody. 
which is a highly low bar. A highly low bar. So it's important that we guard our hearts and watch over our motives. Like I said last week, we can do right things, do them for the wrong reasons, and turn right things into wrong things. So we have to guard over our hearts and watch over our motives. And Jesus said in in chapter 6, verse 1, he said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from the person that we desire to receive a reward from. No reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so ultimately, this is a matter of hunger. What we're discussing here is a matter of hunger. Is our hunger for God and for God to be honored, for for us to recognize and see and experience the glory of God and to be satisfied in Christ and by Christ, or is our hunger to be satisfied with the kudos of our contemporaries, the applause of our fellow man? Like, what is it that we hunger for? Is it God's glory or is it our own? So we need to check our heart and check our motives Why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? And let's put put that to the pavement a little bit more. Why are you at church this morning? Why do you go to small group? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you share your testimony or or invite people to church? May it... May it never be that what we do is done to draw attention to ourselves. May it be that everything that we do is meant to draw attention to God because we hunger and we long and we crave the righteousness of God and the kingdom of God and the glory of God. That's the reward. You know, it says in the text, it's like God, your father who sees in secret, will reward you. The reward is experiencing and enjoying the manifestation of God's presence and God's glory in your life. That's the reward. So is it that that we're pursuing or something much less inferior? So one way to check our motives Our spirituality, our spiritual health is by asking this question. Will I fast if no one knows that I'm fasting? In other words, would would I fast in secret if no one else knew? And that's the kind of fasting that Jesus calls us to in this text. In verse 17 and verse 18. So he says, instead of making yourself look all disheveled, like as if you're a congressman from up northeast somewhere, right? Instead of looking all disheveled all the time, looking as if you're burdened and as if fasting is some onerous religious duty that's just, just burdensome in every way, instead of that, just look normal. Act normal. Go about it as if it's any other day. It tells us there in the text, it's like, anoint your head and wash your face. And in, back in those days, it was common daily practice that a Jew would anoint their head and wash their face. So what Jesus is saying, do what you normally do. Wash your face, comb your hair, groom yourself, put on deodorant, and go about your business. Like, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't advertise that you are all fasting and going hungry don't make it noticeable that you're depriving yourself of food in other words do it in secret do it in secret so does this mean that we can't do public fasting 
Not at all. Because like I said earlier, in the Old Testament, Israel would fast together from time to time. And we see this in the book of Acts, in the, in the, church, in the early church. They fasted together from time to time. So Jesus is not against churches fasting together. We probably are extremely close as a church to be called into a season where we fast together. Uh, more on that on uh, sure at some point. But God does call us to public fasting from time to time. Jesus' point is don't do it in such an ostentatious matter that you're drawing attention to yourself. Ultimately, fasting is between the individual and God. So it must be done with sincerity. And when it's done with sincerity, it is met with a reward. With a reward. So Matthew 6, those two verses, what's interesting is that they tell us how to fast or how not to fast. But they don't really tell us why, do they? So I think we probably should spend the rest of our time actually discussing why we should fast. Right, make sense? Can I at least get a few heads nodding in agreement? All right, that's good. All right, everyone's favorite subject, right? I want to go without food. So why should we fast? Well, you know what? I really need to get into those genes that I outgrew last, last fall. So fasting is good because if I don't go, if I don't eat, if I go without food, you know, I'll lose some weight. Well, I'm not sure that fasting for the sake of weight loss is God's intention. Like, I don't think it's meant to be as a weight loss scheme. All right? I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know if, in fact, fasting actually provides some kind of health medical benefits. But let's just assume for the sake of argument that it does. I don't think that those are the reasons why any of us should fast, that it's going to somehow lower cholesterol or do whatever it is that it may do, lift vault us to the epitome of our human potential, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't think that those are the reasons why we should fast. On a side note, I would say this, that uh, probably not wise for pregnant women or nursing moms to fast. Probably not wise. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not giving medical advice. I don't want any lawsuits, but if someone has diabetes or liver disease or some kind of other ailment, it, it may be better to consult with a health physician. So I have to say that disclaimer. Don't want someone having a catastrophe. Rick's fault. So anyway, just consult with anyone. I'm just giving the 35,000-foot view here of what Scripture says in general terms. So here we go. So why should we fast? We fast to alter what it is that we hunger for. That's the purpose of fasting. Change what it is that we hunger for. We want to replace this hunger that we have for the things of the world with a hunger for God. Fasting, the, the purpose of it is to be filled with a desire for God. So get this, when we hear Jesus say, when you fast, we should actually hear a question echoing in the background. When you fast, we should hear, do you hunger for God. See, Jesus assumed that we would fast because he assumed that his people would be passionate and enthused and desperate for more of God in their life. When you fast, in other words, do you hunger for God? Because again, Jesus meant it to stir us 
out of complacency so that we would have this desperate desire for more of God in our lives. So imagine this. Imagine that we're invited to this fancy restaurant. And this restaurant is known for the goodness of its food. Like it is the best food on the planet. And they don't skimp. Like this restaurant, I mean, they heap it on your plate. You're taking some home, right? It's that much goodness on your plate. So we've been invited and and we're hanging out that day. And all I'm doing is munching on Hot Pockets. Just munching on Hot Pockets one after the other. What, What would you think? What would you say to me? You'd go like, you fool. You fool. First of all, you're going to destroy your mouth. You're going to destroy your mouth. And the second thing is you're going to ruin your what? You're going to ruin your appetite. You're going to get to this restaurant. It's going to be time to order. You're not going to know what to order because you're not hungry because you spent all day feasting on something that was way inferior to what was promised for you. And what we have to realize is that it is hard to find any room for God in our lives when we're feasting on the things of the world. We're easily gratified by the things of the world to such a degree that there's no real longing in us. We can eat so much that we, in essence, don't even think of God. We, we don't think of God when our bellies are full, and our bellies are pretty much full all of the time. And I'm speaking here clearly to those of us who live in this country because there are very, very few people in this country that are actually starving to death or malnourished, okay? We are well fed. We can find food in this nation, okay? And it is hard to hunger for God when our bellies are full. We are quick to stuff the body and ignore the soul. We're very quick to feed the outer man and starve the, the, inner, the inner man. The blessing of fasting is that it teaches us to hunger for the right thing, for God, and in so doing, and hunger for God, to then be nourished in our, in our spirit. So fasting is how we conform to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And again, to read those again, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It is through the abstinence of food that we begin to hunger for the righteousness of God, for the glory of God. We're trading one appetite for another. We're making room for one because we're going to neglect the other. The same way that when all we do is consume the things of the world, we make little room, if any, for God. So we want to eliminate those things, including something like food, to make room for God that we may be nourished. Now, you start abstaining from food. And for those of us Americans who can't go more than three hours without food and complaining that our blood sugar is plummeting and we're going to die, okay? Inevitably, when you go without food, you're going to start to experience some degree, some level of hunger pains. At least some strong physical indications of I want food. And in those moments that you crave food, you pause and you pray. And I have to say that you pray. 
Because fasting without prayer is just simply a hunger strike. Fasting without prayer is just going hungry. Well, that's no fun. Like, there's, that's pointless. Okay, Christ, what makes Christian fasting fasting is that there's encompassed by Christian prayer. So when you get hungry, you stop, you pause, and you pray to God, more than my body wants food, Lord, I want you. More than this desperate physical need that I'm experiencing now, I want to feed on your word. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be the person you've called me to to be. I want to live for your glory. I want to enjoy this abundant life that you offer, Lord. I want more of you. I'm going to neglect this physical hunger to just focus all of me and all of my attention on you, for you, Lord, are what I need and who I hunger for. So if you desire for more of God in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in our church, in our city, fast. Hunger for God. And when you get hungry, you say, God, more than food, more than the necessity of calories, I desire your presence in my life. I hunger for you, Lord. The reason we don't hunger for God is that we're just not hungry. That's why we need to abstain from food for a while to to make our soul bend toward that which we really, truly need in our lives. The non-Christian will hear all of this that I'm talking about and kind of scratch their head, a bit bit bewildered. Like, why in the world would someone go without food for the purpose of hunger for God? Like, what is this whole hunger for God thing all about? And for those of us who know the Lord, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know the truth. And that is that there is nothing better than a close acquaintance with God, that there's nothing better than a fresh touch from God and experiencing the connection and the relationship with him. There's nothing better than becoming more acquainted with the riches of his grace and his goodness and his wisdom and his power. There's nothing better than us walking with the Lord and him abiding in us as we go through life. There's nothing better than this righteousness of God being being enveloped around us. There's nothing gooder. I haven't said this in a while. God is the greatest good of all possible goods. There's nothing gooder than God. Of all the goods in the world, God is gooder. You put all the goods of the world together and come up with this really good thing, God is gooder than that because he's the goodest good of all good things. That's why we fast. When we fast, you know what we're doing? We're joining with Moses in saying, God, I want to see your glory. More than the glory that this world offers, more than the food that grows on trees, more than the food in in the grocery store, more than anything else, Lord, I desire to see you at work in my life and in my world. I crave it, Lord. I crave it. I desire it. That is why we fast. God's good and right will for our lives is that we will prefer him to the things of the world. Our natural tendency is that we are prone to delight in God's gifts over God himself being the giver. 
So, man, we will delight in all this stuff that God gives to us, our home, our family, even our children, our job, our bank account. Man, we will relish all of that, and we will enjoy the gift with little thought to him who is, who is our giver. God's will for our lives is that we will love him above all the things of the world. Everything that he blesses with. We deceive ourselves that we love God unless our love is frequently put to the test. God's desire is that we love him and we deceive ourselves that we in fact love him unless we frequently put that love to the test. We must show our preference for God, not merely through our words, but through our sacrifice. Not because the sacrifice earns us anything in God's eyes but because it reveals to us the truth about us. Do I even love God? See, this is one of the blessings of fasting. It actually shows what is real in us. This is, this is why what happened in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac was so telling. Hey, go sacrifice your son. Abraham had no idea that he loved God that much until he was put to the test. It wasn't for God's personal knowledge. God knew It was for Abraham's knowledge. This is why we fast. Do I, in fact, love God? Am I willing to give up anything and everything, including food, for the love of God? And if if you do love God, what fasting does is that it cultivates, it grows our love for, for him. Fasting is how we break free from idolatry, which is, I think, ultimately the sin in the United States. This inordinate love that we have for all of this stuff. So fasting breaks us of those addictions, of of that idolatry. It separates us from the world and it separates us unto God. In other words, we're sanctified. God uses fasting to make us holy, to set us apart for himself. So we fast in order to foster the right hunger in ourselves and also to foster humility inside of us famous missionary Hudson Taylor he was a missionary from England in China in the 1800s he wrote this in Chansi I found Chinese Christians who were accustomed to spend time in fasting and prayer they recognized that this fasting which so many dislike which requires faith in God since it makes one feel weak and poorly is really a divinely appointed means of grace. So you catch what he's saying there. He's saying that fasting is a godly given way of receiving grace. He goes on to say, perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength, our own imagined strength. And in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creature we are dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength which we are so apt to lean on. Fasting is good for us because it knocks us off of our high horse. Oh, let me tell you, I'm pretty strong, pretty clever, pretty smart. I'm resourceful. I have ingenuity in me. I, got, I slept at, an, at an, a, a, a good hotel last night so I, I got some good rest I, I can conquer the world I can I can juggle some some chainsaws I got this I got this okay 
Go a couple of days without food and then tell me how strong you feel. All we need to do is take away the food that God provides and we learn real quick just how frail and how weak we really are. And folks, that's a reward. To find out how weak we are is a reward. It's in learning humility that we begin to depend on God more and more and lean less on the illusion of our own prowess. Humility is being broken of our self-reliance. In other words, it's saying, I can't. Like This is ultimately what humility is. It's saying to God, I can't. Lord, I am addicted to this substance. I have tried to break the addiction. I cannot do it. Lord, you do this work in me. Lord, I am down. I am beat down. I am lacking joy in my life. I am lacking happiness in my life. I've tried everything that I know to do to raise up my own countenance, but I cannot do it. So Lord, I ask that you do this in me lord i have issues with anger or with lust or with whatever the case may be lord i can't beat it i can't tackle the hulk that is inside of me so lord can you will you do for me what i cannot do for myself make me the person you want me to be i'm broken fix me i can't fix myself There's nothing better for us than to learn humility because it is in our weakness that God is made strong. In James chapter 4, verse 6, God says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's in humility that we experience God's grace and God's power and God's wisdom. It's in our humility that we experience God himself. There's no greater reward than being able to say what the psalmist said in Psalm 28, verse 7. He said, the Lord is my strength and my shield. He's my strength. He's my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with a song, I give thanks to him. Food is not our strength. The things of the world are not our strength. That is found uniquely and exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you desire joy, if you desire victory in your life, fast. Find out how weak you really are. Learn to trust in the Lord and there, instead of relying on yourself, rely on Him to do what only He can do. Learn humility. This is one of the great values and benefits of fasting. There's a, an old story of two lumberjacks. Younger lumberjack, older lumberjack. The younger had become pretty proud. It's like his, his ability to chop down some trees at a quick pace was, was pretty stout. And, and so... He knew that this older lumberjack had a reputation, like he was the one that everyone knew was like the fast lumberjack. This guy could chop down the tree. So this young one, he thought he had arrived on the scene. He, he said, I, 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 can, I got this, I can do this. So he challenged the older guy to a tree chopping down 
contest, right? He issued the, the challenge. See, who could cut down the most trees in one day? So the older guy said, all right, I'm game. And, and so they got after it. And the younger lumberjack, he went at it all day long with all his vigor and all his vitality. I mean, he's just hammering at, the, at these trees. And I mean, one's coming down right after the other. And he wouldn't stop. He took no breaks. He went nonstop all day. And at some point, he looks over at the older guy. And the older guy just sitting down right because that's what older guys do where we take we take a break so that's what he noted he's like well I've got this in the bag because this other guy every hour he stops and that's what the older the older lumberjack was doing he would chop for an hour and he'd take a 15 minute break chop for an hour take a 15 minute break and it went on all day and so they get to the end of the day and they, they start counting the the trees and the older guy had cut down one-third more trees than the younger guy and the young guy is ticked he is just upset he's like just mad and he goes over to this older guy he's like how in the world old dude how in the world could you have cut down more trees than me I went at it all day long without a break and you were taking all these breaks all day long and the older guy said I'll tell you how because when I stopped, I sat, and I sharpened my axe. I stopped, and I sharpened my axe. A lot of us are going through our day and through our life trying to do the right thing, trying to be a good Christian dad, a good Christian wife, trying to be a good Christian neighbor. We're trying to grow in our faith. We're trying to do the right thing, and our axe is dull. We don't stop, and fasting is what sharpens the axe. When we stop, what we're telling God to do is sharpen my thoughts, sharpen my heart, sharpen my body, sharpen everything about me that I may live fully for your glory. Do you possess an emphatic, desperate desire a longing for God's glory in your life do you desire the righteousness of God do you hunger for it do you want more of God in your life working in you and through you do you desire that with a passionate desperation if not I propose that it may be because you've been nibbling too long and for far too long at the table of the world. You're full. You're full of hot pockets. You're full of this inferior stuff of the world. And so what you so need and what I desire for you is that you would learn to fast so that you could replace that stuff and be filled with something so much better? Will you commit to fasting, to making it a regular practice in your life? And, and that's going to look very different for each and every one of us because we're never commanded how often. The Bible never tells us how, how much to do it or when you fast or how long to do it for. The, the Bible is very, very quiet on that. It just assumes that we'll fast. So it's going to be different for everyone. What I do know is that in, in much of church history, Christians fast at least once, once a week for 24 hours. 
either on Sunday or, or Wednesday. It was a very normal part of Christian life. We know that they did this back in the day. I, um, the, the duration is going to be different for all of you. Like, be, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share this. For me, um, a 24-hour fast is completely unhelpful. I need to get closer to 48 hours before it starts doing what it's supposed to do. And that's only because I'm so stubborn. Because it takes me about 48 hours to say, okay, I, I, don't have to, I don't need to muscle through this on my own. I have enough willpower. I can get to 48 hours by myself. I need to get there to then actually start relying on God and asking for his help. That's going to look different for everyone. If you're not as stubborn as I am, maybe just skipping a meal and spending that time in prayer, maybe that's where you start, and that's good. You know, for some of you, I can't do it once a week. Okay, well, can you do it once a month for a day or two or three or however? And like I said earlier, there's going to be a season when we call our church, are we going to fast together because there's something that is happening or something that we need to do as a church family? But the question I'm putting before you is, will you fast in your life? Do you want your acts sharpened? Do you want to hunger for that which is truly satisfying? The day is coming, y'all. The day is coming when all fasting will be replaced with feasting. The day is coming. Sooner rather than later, I hope, in Revelation at the end of the Bible, when it's giving us a picture of what's going to happen later in Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 through 17, it says, Therefore they, referring to followers of Jesus, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. God will shelter his people with his presence and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A day is coming when all fasting will be replaced with feasting. Jesus went to the cross, not that we would be deprived of anything, but that we would be people of abundance. Jesus went to that cross and he shed his blood as a sacrifice for us, that we would share in the glories of his inheritance forever. Jesus went to the cross and there our sins were placed upon the shoulders of Christ and he paid the price for our sin. He met the judgment of God in our place so that we would forever know the infinite goodness of God in our lives. He submitted unto death. He died our death in our place, the sacrificial lamb, to do so. Why? that we may live forever in the presence of God, that we may know the fullness of what it means to be content and satisfied and fulfilled. And all who place their faith in Jesus 
who repent of their sin and they give their lives, they trust themselves over into Jesus' care and say, I'm going to follow after Christ. We're forgiven of our sin. It's all removed. We're recipients of grace in that moment. And from that moment, we begin to experience fullness in our lives, joy in our lives, peace, relationship with God. But it does not stop with experiencing that in this world. We look forward to that day when it's ultimately fulfilled when all fasting is replaced with glorious feasting. When Just imagine that day when if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're ushered into the presence of God, this beautiful throne room. And God himself walks over and he takes you by the hand. And he says, I got a seat just for you right here. And he rolls out this spread, this, this incredible banquet. And you just look and behold his majestic beauty forever and ever. And there's never a need and never a want. Every tear is gone. Every ailment is fixed. The day is coming when all fasting, all deprivation will be replaced with a glorious feasting upon the glories and the mercies of God. The day is coming. So I I ask you this, what decision must you make this morning? Are you, in fact, a follower of Jesus? Have you made that decision in, in your heart, definitively, once and for all? Have you committed your life over to Christ and embraced grace and embraced the cross and the resurrection of Jesus? Have you given himself over to him? Because there is no fulfillment until a person steps into that decision. And for the rest of us that are in the room who have been struggling through life, is your axe sharp? Are you hacking away at everything with a dull blade? Will you commit to fasting in your life that Jesus may become your everything, that God may be your every thought and your every joy, your every dream, your your fullness and your satisfaction? Is that the decision that you need to make this morning? I always say that when we hear of God's grace, we're always compelled to take a step. God's grace never leaves us where we are. It always invites us to something more, to something greater. So having heard the grace of God this morning, what, are you, what is God himself telling you to do? Fast, pray. So I'm going to give everyone a moment with all eyes closed and heads bowed just to do business with the Lord where you are. And I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come forward to lead us in our closing song. And as they do that, I'm just going to offer this thought for you to meditate on. I said a little while ago that we can deceive ourselves that we have a love for God unless that love is regularly tested. And again, that's not for God's sake. That is for our own sake. Has your love for him been tested? Would you commit to the kind of life that does put that love at the test? Through your serving and your giving, through your witness, through your praying and through your fasting. 
may we all find out this day and this week that we in fact truly love God and if, if we find that that love is not there may we find the grace that comes through the cross Lord Father, you are a gracious and good God. Matchless in mercy and kindness, you are benevolent beyond all measure. You are a good Father. You do not leave us in a pit. You do not leave us desperate, Lord, but you reached down and you did so through the sending of your Son that we would have life and have it abundantly, that we may not remain in our sin Lord, that we would not trifle and nibble at the things of the world that do not satisfy, Lord, but that we would be satisfied in you, in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you so offer that invitation by your grace and through the cross, Lord, that we can come to you and you would accept us with open arms and give your life to you who gave your life for us, that we can love you who first loved us. Lord, we, or I pray this morning, Lord, that we would not speak of your glory and hunger, hungering for it in a trivial way, Lord, but that we would be impassioned for it, Lord, building us, cultivating us, fostering us a true hunger and a desperate longing for your righteousness and your kingdom and your glory. Lord, break us of this addiction that we have with the things of the world. Lord, let us use the abstinence of food in our lives to drive you, to drive us to you and to your throne of grace. Lord, many of us are, are muddling through life, trying to do it on our own. Our acts is dull. So Lord, I ask that you would exchange this hunger for the things of the world, that we would hunger for you, that our acts would be sharp, that we would live fully for you and abide in you, Lord. For you promise that we can do much so long as we abide in you and you in us. And I do pray for commitment to fasting, that this would be a spiritual discipline that we, those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we would implement into our regular lives. Lord, let us not be satisfied by the mere crumbs that this world offers. Be our everything. In Jesus' name, amen.